Well, hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. Blue skies, bouncy springs, we just named two awesome things. A Nobel Prize, a piece of string. You know what's awesome? Everything. Dogs with fleas, allergies, a book of Greek antiquities. Brand new pants, a very old vest. Awesome items are the best. Trees, frogs, clogs, they're awesome. Rocks, clocks and socks, they're awesome. Figs and jigs and twigs, that's awesome. Everything you see or think or say is awesome. That's everything is awesome from the Lego movie. I'm part of a generation that was encouraged to demonstrate humility. To boast of success or achievements was seen as uncontrolled ego, with the idea that pride comes before a fall. A constant threat coming straight from the book of Proverbs. The original quotation, in fact, is from the King James Bible, and it says this, Pride goeth before destruction, and haughty spirit before a fall, a biblical sword dangled above our heads. Photography is founded on the idea of looking back. The image documents the moment, and all further engagement with that image requires the viewer to look back on that moment. Such reflection can induce a sense of judgment on the past, a sense of success or failure. A process of reflection and analysis that is essential for learning and progression. When such opinions are offered by others, they take the form of constructive criticism at best, an uninformed opinion or bias at worst. Feedback is what you need to hear, and only occasionally what we want to hear. We should not be unfairly harsh on ourselves or on others, but we should also not be afraid to share honestly felt beliefs and identify our own failings. Easy words to speak, but difficult to implement. Resilience is a word often used in this context. It's an education buzzword. But I've also seen a rise in the use of the word proud over the past decade. I'm so proud of what I have achieved. I am super proud of this work. I didn't achieve what I wanted, but I'm still proud. There's no issue with being proud of an achievement, particularly a great achievement. But the use of the word in relation to the mundane or the failure shouts of a need for self-reassurance, validation and the creation of a fake success. I recently commented on some very average images that a photographer was super proud of making and posting. I suggested that such an exclamation could be seen by others as being aggressive marketing in this context. I meant it as constructive criticism, but the photographer responded with an abusive accusatory email rant. It was clear that I had unintentionally hit a nerve. No conversation could be had with the photographer, as his pride in creating the images had completely blinded him to their lack of originality or potential to improve. His pride in creating the work had left him in the past, glowing in his believed success in creating them, and therefore unable to look forward. Super proud and super awesome leave you nowhere to go, nowhere to progress to. I think it may be part of a super real, super awesome Instagram approach to life, but that's just a guess. 
I'd spoken with and heard from many great photographers over the years who see success as achieving a few successful images each year and surprisingly few over the course of an illustrious career. Humility is key to their personal reflections and a sense of what is left to achieve the fuel that keeps them going. In essence, super awesome and super proud may make you you feel good in the moment, but just like candy floss, it can give you a sugar overload, a headache, make you feel a little bit sick and actually not really fill you up or give you any nutrition. This week, I'm pleased and proud to be inviting and welcoming to the podcast photographer David Rothenberg to explain to us what photography means to him in under five minutes. Rothenberg is a photographer and educator who lives in New York and who has, over recent years, made his home borough of Queens the subject of several major projects. He's produced two books of his work, Roosevelt Station and Landing Lights Park, which Time magazine named one of the best photography books of 2018. Rothenberg was the recipient of the Photo 2021 Perimeter International Photo Book Prize for Roosevelt Station, and in 2019 he was awarded the Peter S. Reed Foundation Grant for Photography. His photographs have been published in the New York Times, Hyperallergenic, Liberation, Dizite and The New Yorker and are held in the permanent collection of the Museum of the City of New York, the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, MoMA and the Amon Carter Museum of American Art. Rothenberg received an MFA from Bard College and a BFA from Parsons School of Design. Hello, this is David Rothenberg. What does photography mean to me? Photography has played an important role in my life since my childhood, and it is hard for me to comprehend the extent to which it has shaped my experience and the way I interface with my surroundings. I am a photographer who takes the camera out into the world. I photograph subjects that are intimately connected to my immediate surroundings, whether it be near my home in Queens, New York, or my hometown in California. I am drawn toward photographing locations for an extended period of time. I frequently return to the same streets and sites. In a way, this approach allows for me to become more attuned to my surroundings and notice details that I might have otherwise overlooked. I am captivated by photography's relationship to time and chance. My family influenced the way I see. Growing up, my mother was always a keen observer, and I think she demonstrated an appreciation for small details that most people would overlook. Whether it be something in nature or her ability to find incredible objects at a yard sale. My father, who taught me the basics of using a 35 millimeter camera, worked as an urban planner. And there would often be these enlarged aerial photographs around the house of various development projects in the California landscape. I was really struck by how abstract and strange the hills and landscapes would appear in these images, how job sites of planned communities would look like microscopic biological structures when viewed from the air. My relationship to photographs and images was most profoundly shaped by my grandparents. I became fixated on photography through a fascination with old family photos. 
My maternal grandparents were Jews who fled Germany under the Third Reich. They came to the United States and they tried to leave much of their painful history behind, preferring not to discuss their previous lives. I was a scavenger as a child and I would secretly rummage in my deep in my grandparents' closets to search for glimpses into their past. I think in an attempt to make sense of my own identity through examining images hidden away in shoeboxes and albums. On my father's side, my grandfather directed television commercials in the 1950s and 60s, and he made a lot of the iconic television ads of the post-war era, such as the Lucky Strike dancing cigarettes. I became obsessed with images of that time period, and it really guided my interest in working with photographs. As a photography student at Parsons School of Design and later Bard College, I became almost completely disinterested in using the camera to make new images. Instead, I gravitated toward working with existing or found images, much of it influenced by the advertising of my grandfather, whose personal life and values were in conflict with the capitalistic utopian images he manufactured. I was fixated on how the meaning of images could be altered or subverted through shifting contexts. It feels only relatively recently, although it's been about a decade, that I was motivated to pick up the camera again to observe and engage my surroundings, reconnecting with the pleasure, albeit an anxious one for me, of going out into the world with a camera. Much of this impulse stemmed from a change in scenery. Thirteen years ago, I moved from Manhattan to Jackson Heights in Queens. I found my new neighborhood, which happens to be one of the most culturally diverse places in the U.S., to be an immensely inspiring and visually rich place in which to photograph. I have since developed a body of work that looks at everyday subjects that are essentially in my backyard. For instance, my most recent book of photographs, Roosevelt Station, was made entirely in my local subway stop where I began my morning commute each day. I teach photography primarily to non-art majors at a community college and find joy in helping students learn to see with sensitivity and find meaning in the visual world that surrounds them. I'm the father of two young boys and they have had more than their fair share of walking around the city with their neurotic father as I halt abruptly to photograph some detritus or something completely trivial. As more time passes, it's clear that they too have inherited this disorder stopping in their tracks to look with attention. Thank you, David, for your contribution this week. Uh, filled with nostalgia and memory, as we so often find in these contributions, but really stacked up and interesting there from David. Also great to hear that he's passing on that same kind of influence onto his own children. I know it's something I definitely recognise from my engagement with the medium. And the more I think about photography, actually, the more I recognise and realise the importance of those childhood experiences not just the ones that were directly related to photography, but those that were engaged with popular social culture, those things I was looking at and being introduced to as a child. Always fascinating to me, and I hope you found it interesting also. As I always say, if you're not aware of David's work, do check him out. I think you'll be really impressed and uh, inspired, actually, by the way in which he creates images in a very small geographic area. And particularly for me, with his graphic sense and use of composition. 
I saw a comment by a photographer in the past week on Twitter, an American photographer, that said this. When I found out that a professional photographer was displaying this image of mine, he then shows the image, uh, on their portfolio, and it's listed as part of two exhibitions the other person had had, it seriously blew my mind. When I discovered that the person directs an MFA photo program at a private university, I was dumbfounded. I have to say I'm somewhat surprised that anybody would feel today that they could steal somebody's image, reuse it, claim it as being theirs and get away with that in this world in which it's so easy to find stuff out. It reminded me of a story, that something that happened to me, actually, when I was art directing magazines. And in those days, look, I was looking for a designer to come and work with me, a freelance designer. Somebody turned up at the magazine and they had tear sheets. I'm sure a lot of you will remember those tear sheets as we all used to have as photographers, ripped out of magazines as proof that we could be trusted to take a picture. Well, designers uh, had them also. So as I started to look through this designer's uh, portfolio of tear sheets, what I started to see were a lot of pages that I had designed. In a pre-digital age, it was obvious that the designer felt that he was going to get away with this subterfuge. He was coming to see me on one magazine, unaware that I had worked at the previous magazine for a long time. A few simple questions revealed the fact that he hadn't designed the pages, which I knew he hadn't, and that he hadn't worked at the magazine that he was claiming to. We just agreed to call it a day, and he went off, and I never saw or heard from him again. But the idea of a photographer stealing another photographer's images and even worse, being in a position to educate young minds and hopefully to give some sense of ethics and how photographers should work and relate to each other, to each other is, is really shocking. It'd be very interesting to keep an eye on that particular conversation and see how it develops. On a much lighter note, I came across a, a short film, a series, I think, are going to be of short films which have come out of Holland that I highly recommend. You don't have to speak Dutch. They're all subtitled in English. But look out for these. Photo Club Des Vaderlands. Episode one is on aesthetics. And Jan Dirk van der Berg, the photographer who presents these short films drives around in a green uh, panda fiat panda uh, with a sash around himself and he seems to have a, a brass umpar band that sometimes goes with him as well there's a real sense of uh, tongue-in-cheek comedy to this and i'm not quite sure um, because i don't know anything about him how real this actually is and how much of it has a sense of the Ali G approach to it. But anyway, it really is worth watching. It made me laugh out loud. It pricks a lot of the pomposity of the bubble that is photography, but it does it in an extremely, uh, I suppose, gentle way. So that's Photo Club Des Vaderlands 
uh, episode one, Aesthetics, and that's Jan Dirk van der Berg. Look out for it on YouTube. And in fact, I'll put a link to that on the page on United Nations of Photography where this podcast uh, is posted. If you don't yet subscribe to our podcast, you may not be aware of the articles that get posted each week at unitednationsofphotography.com. In the past week, two articles have gone up there, both of which have seemed to be very popular. The first one, pricing, licensing, usage and stuff. Why are so many photographers uninformed? Certainly asks a few questions. And the other one, is anybody listening? How to get your photography seen and your voice heard certainly gives some tips and some ideas to photographers who may be finding it very difficult at the moment to get commissioned. So you might like to check those out. I'd also just like to say thank you very much to all of those who have passed on their uh, good wishes, I suppose, to myself and to my wife, who's had COVID over the last week. I'm not quite sure whether I've had COVID or not. The tests all said negative. The uh, symptoms all said COVID, or at least a lot of them did. But I'm happy to say that I'm feeling much better now and we survived without too much trouble. Of course, I ended last week's uh, podcast episode by suggesting that you should all get uh, the jab and obviously a booster if you're in that age group. I'd like to repeat that this week. I'd also like to add that as well as getting the jab, you really have got to keep wearing masks. It makes such a difference. I'd hate to think how bad the COVID would have been for our family if we hadn't all have been boosted and all hadn't have been jabbed. So what's important is to do the right thing, not just yourself, but for everybody else. What I am noticing also is just how sensible photographers seem to be uh, about the way in which they're going about their work. I'm seeing and hearing of lots of professional photographers with teams taking all of the right precautions and even more with sanitising of hands as well and really a real sensible approach to the way in which we progress with this illness. I think the reality is that we can all continue working and doing what we were doing pre-COVID. We just have to be super careful to make sure that things don't get closed down again. Anyway, I don't want to turn this podcast or any podcast into some kind of health and safety warning film. Uh, I saw enough of those when I was a, a child in the 1970s, that poor man waving and drowning and everybody else ignoring him. I'm sure that must bring back a few memories to some of you. Anyway, uh, over the next week, I've got lots to do and I'm sure you've got lots to do. But I know the one thing I am going to do and that is definitely to take care.